0: This is the Unrationed Podcast. My name is Evan Chasteen. I'm Josh Randa.
1: And I am Tony Albrecht.
0: And we begin every podcast the same way by talking about our wild moments from the week. We skipped a week, uh, so I guess we've got two weeks to pull from here. Which one of you would like to start with a wild moment?
1: Me? Josh wants to, yeah. He had some pretty wild moments. (laughs)
2: Yeah. I'm trying to think. I feel like I've had quite a few over the last, uh, two weeks. Um, I'm going to go with the grand Canyon. That was definitely uh pretty awesome. So me and a buddy, uh, his name's James Dice. Every quarter we get together and we do a, a quarterly business review. So we kind of unpack everything that's going on within our companies. And we normally do, um, like a a little adventure, and so this time he came down to Arizona because I was already down there. We went up to the Grand Canyon, and we uh, we hiked down into the canyon down to Phantom Ranch. So it was like eight miles, dropped about five thousand feet, hung out there, and then came back up. But I think just we watched this like eight minute video at the uh, at the visitor center, and the oldest rock that is found in the Grand Canyon is like one point eight billion years old. Which is just friggin' insane. So to like go down each layer and each layer of rock that iconic rock is like a hundred million years or two hundred million years, it just blows my mind.
0: So and you're your talking about the rock, feel, like that? the the layer of Earth, not like a. I guess it could be also a rock that you hold in your hand.
2: Yeah, like the layer of Earth essentially. But yeah, there's it. You know, it's chipped off, and there's different rocks. Um, but yeah. That's pretty cool. That seemed pretty wild.
0: Yeah. Thinking about time in that long of span can really mess with my mind yeah. from time to time. Tony, uh, wild moment.
1: Last week I had the pleasure of joining my my teammate Josh in Arizona for our annual sprint. Um and I'm going to bring up when we went out for a little hike uh josh's idea the the middle of the afternoon and you know you've picked a perfect time for a hike in the desert when you show up to the to the place just outside phoenix and there are no cars in the parking lot on like a perfect day because it's like 105 degrees out um and just we we did about four miles there were six of us i think and uh, it was it was intense, beautiful trail. You get kind of up into the hills a little bit, 20 foot tall cacti and whatnot. Uh, and it was my first time in a number of years out in that kind of heat. And the impact it has on you is is a reminder that where it's like you get up on the hill and you can still see Phoenix out there, um, but you are out there in the in in that heat with that sun, uh, in a way that was decidedly uncivilized, you know, where very quickly your uh, your focus and turns to how you're doing, how your body's feeling, how much water you're getting, how much water other people are getting, how other people are feeling, mm-hmm. uh, and, and you're watching the heat take its toll on different people in different ways. And we were just out there for, I mean, I think it was about two hours. Yeah. Um, But it was, yeah, it, it was an intense reminder of the power of nature. Evan, how about you?
0: Cut down some tree limbs in my backyard and more and more finding my wild moments had to do with just being outside in my yard. and. A couple of them were high, and my focus was very was very focused because they were dangerous tree limbs. I, there were a couple of times I had, I was wondering if I was uh be I, I should have just called somebody to to get them. So after we cut down the tree limbs, we also did a fire to burn them all, and that was really it was like a it was a spontaneous fire, so we didn't plan to burn the brush pile at that time uh my wife and i but we we did and there was something about lighting a fire spontaneously that felt wild uh because it is so close to our house and it was in a pine straw area so we had the hose out and we're wetting the ground and somebody always was manning the hose like we had to be very focused uh to do to do that in a safe way, Uh, arguably safe, I guess. Somebody could still say that it maybe wasn't, but I felt prepared and spontaneous at the same time. Whenever that happens, it's a really cool feeling to know what to do, but also not having a plan. So let's get to the episode. I picked up this book. If you're on YouTube, you can see it. It's called On the Threshold of Transformation, Daily Meditations for Men. It's by Richard Rohr, who's been uh, an incredibly impactful influence in my life, uh, kind of introducing me to, I think, one of the concepts that he introduces with this book, which is um, mythologizing our lives uh, as men. And he... Uh, It borrows heavily from Joseph Campbell, it seems, with the hero's journey. But I wanted to read a couple things from just the introduction to this book, because it seems to touch on several of our episodes uh, up to this point. So I'm going to read a couple things, and then let's riff on them. This is how he starts, like part one, beginning of part one. If we don't learn to mythologize our lives, inevitably we pathologize them. Go.
1: Rock and roll. Uh, Evan, you and I were talking about how I've started blowing through the power of myth, which is Joseph Campbell's, um, a series of TV shows he did with Bill Moyers in like, I think it was in the 80s. Uh, and mythology isn't something I spend a whole lot of time thinking about. Uh, and it's got me thinking about it. and And like, what you're what's your or that line if we don't mythologize lives we pathologize them is that, that's actually line um it's got me thinking about that differently that one thing that campbell says in there is that w- we actually always do have a mythology that our, our mythology is simply the story framework through which we view the world and historically, we've had, you know, going way back, uh, it, it seemed like because our understanding as a species of the world around us and how things work and, and physics and astr- astrology and, and um, you know, all those sorts of astrology, I meant astronomy. Didn't astronomy, I? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Astrology I mean. being I do more not mythological. Mean astrology. <laughs> <laughs> uh that people made up stories to provide meaning and structure, you know, psychological structure. Um, and see that now that we have learned so much so quickly as a species, a lot of those old stories don't fit the, the modern time, or at least we feel like they don't. And
0: can I clarify something
1: Inter- interrupt you and
0: clarify something? Please. Yeah. You said they made up stories, and, and I don't know that Joseph Campbell would take that perspective in particular. I think these stories came from somewhere uh, because he's finding the same stories uh, very far apart from one another. So uh, we have stories within us, I would say, all of us. Mm-hmm. And as uh, maybe many societies began to form, as as people group groups began to structure in some way, shape, or form, these stories, uh, there were certain people who were able to put words and images to these stories in a way that spoke to other people in timeless ways, like outside of specific cultural contexts. So that's that's that was just my note of that we nobody was making them up. I don't think I don't think Joseph Campbell would take that stance.
1: is what I'm saying. Uh, it's it's a worthwhile distinction. And by makeup, I simply mean, uh, applying images or I, you are making up a story, like the actual narrative of the thing. What Campbell does talk about how in, in such different places and such different peoples, the same basic narratives arise. Right. And even a lot of the details remain the same, right. To, to your point. And, yeah, what I'm getting at is simply that um, that the stories are true in a psychological sense, or in a, a sense of providing the meaning, without you know being actual historical events. And and I want to juxtapose that with where we are today, where if if you were to ask somebody, you could ask me, like, what is your mythology today that you go through the world with? I'm inclined to say, I don't have one. And I think that's that would be a common response is that we don't have mythology anymore. We don't have myths because we have science and we have facts and we have information and we could just know things that are true you know, because we have all this information, and it, it confuses what mythology is, since we do have, and this is, um, like, sapiens, I'm blanking on Harari's full name, but, um, but yeah, it, it, one thing he articulates in that book so wonderfully is that our superpower as a species really is our our ability to share uh, you know, our imaginings—you know—that we're able to concoct uh, shared narratives and shared metaphors and and a mythology that then can allow us to trust one another and cooperate—and right? that's really where humanity's power has come from. Right,
0: Josh, what you got? Well, first off, I feel like
2: I have to tell you when you said the clarification, I feel like I've talked to a few people that have listened to the podcast and they're like, sometimes the context that Evan brings is just insane. Like just like sharpens everything up. So I feel like that was one of those moments where it's like, it's like a really impressive gift. So um, thank well, you for thank that. You. Um, I don't, the immediate riffing that came to mind was, When we were in the Grand Canyon and like thinking about looking at my watch versus looking at the summit of like the Grand Canyon. And so we're like hiking, and you know, there's all this like literature around like zone two and like keeping your heart rate in that area, and you can go all day long. And it's like it makes you want to govern yourself to like Tony's point, this like science of how we uh, walk through life. And that's kind of like what was popping into my mind in terms of like pathology, where we have like this scientific approach to everything as opposed to letting these myths be our compass and guiding us to a spot that, you know, only we can navigate in life, I guess. You know, but but relying on the different the different stories, the different uh meanings behind uh all these things that we hear. So that was the first thing that came to mind.
0: Yeah. Watches I'm gonna... and summits. Yeah. There's there's something to so as you're saying that the science also has a, a point where it doesn't know. And it seems as though mythology meets science really neatly there. So I think mm. they play very well together. And it's like, I don't want it to sound like we're pitting science yeah, versus mythology. But they go together quite neatly at a certain point with either at the point where Kind of both meet mystery, uh, because I I do think proper healthy mythology is always pointing beyond itself, like using symbols to point to something beyond the symbol itself, and science is always pointing towards uh, truth. Then and, and we're like ever approaching that. It it seems I think I've used this uh, on another episode, but it seems like an science is an asymptote where we're approaching truth via facts but it's ever approaching like infinitely like we may never be able to actually touch it via the scientific method and that's probably heavily debated as well
1: tony what were you gonna say um well there's there's the scientific and then there's the technological and and I think those things are slightly different and they're both greatly informing where we're at today but when I was as we're riffing here it's worth articulating what our mythologies look like and and the main one that comes to mind for me uh from our context as Americans is that mythology of the American dream which has become sort of this conventional path to success uh you know I think about I don't think about it as mythology, but it's that: mm. go to school, get good grades, do extracurriculars, you know, get a job, get the better job, get the house, get the family. You know, like that whole trajectory uh, is a myth, yeah. You know? And and to your original line about, and we're gonna end up riffing on one line for the whole thing, aren't we? Um, that if we if we lose the mythology, it turns into pathology. Uh, I think that uh, that myth that I certainly have operated with for much of my life gets at the heart of that line, whereas like that was pathological because that that myth leads one to chase things that don't achieve the desired result. Let's say like if mythology is, if the purpose of mythology is to give us some framework for understanding the world our place in it meaning you know what to pursue to have a a life well lived how many books and movies and examples from our own lives do we need to see to see that the american dream as we understand it doesn't cut it on on those bigger questions like so many of us can follow that that myth and achieve it you know like we we do i uh, i countering your point of the the asymptotic nature of science uh the american dream is something where you can achieve it and so many of us do and then you say is this it is it and it, think yeah. it speaks to that that pathological uh dynamic okay yeah,
0: so the whole intro here before reading any of day one was about the inner journey. And and as it seems as though as men, we get very caught up in the outer journey. So exactly. what I propose is that somebody could actually live the outer journey of the American dream and also have a very deep and rich inner journey. Uh, like For sure. We're sitting in home offices with a wife and two kids apiece with good jobs, owning a business, like I, I would argue that we're, like, pretty closely uh, living out what we all, I think, would criticize as uh, the uh, highest a- achievement, or mm. or what should be the highest achievement. And I, and I, I think, spending time on the inner journey is where Roar is pointing us here. So I'm gonna read this pas- passage from the the intro after 20 years of working with men on retreats and rites of passage in spiritual direction and even in prison it has sadly become clear to me how trapped the typical western male feels he is trapped inside with almost no inner universe of deep meaning to heal him or guide him historically this is exactly what spirituality meant by losing your soul it did not happen later or after death unless it first happened here For centuries, males have been encouraged and rewarded for living an outer life of performances, which are usually framed in terms of win or lose. So he he kind of continues to go down that. And so the distinction I think you're drawing, Tony, is that there's this inner journey that sometimes mirrors the outer journey, and mythology is meant to take us inside as much as it is to take us outside. Josh, do you have any thoughts?
2: yes, but I'm still formulating them.
0: Great. great. Okay. okay. Can I'll, I read? Oh, go I'll, ahead, Tony.
1: Yeah. I was just going to say that that's fantastic. And and the the problem with the American dream mythology is not the thing itself, right? It is that thing you're referring to that when we put that up on the pedestal as the ideal, that that is the thing worth pursuing and we ignore the internal spiritual journey, then we get to, if we can achieve that external thing, at which point we realize that we forgot to bring along the most essential piece of ourselves, which is that spiritual component. And then, and then only then do we uh, take ourselves on the, the internal journey, so yeah.
2: The word that keeps coming to mind is disordered or ordered, Like, right? So our outer journey can either be ordered or disordered with our inner journey. And to your point, like I feel very fortunate on the path that I'm currently on, I love my life, but there's times where I have a really, like I'm trying to pinpoint moments where I have an inner tension with my outer journey. And trying to like really distill down when those conflicts are. And it is when you're seeking to be elevated, not to see, but rather to be seen. It's those times where you're, you know, you're like, yeah, this, this isn't in harmony with what I'm trying to pursue. um, And almost aligning my internal behaviors or internal thoughts with this external facing approach. So, yeah, that, that passage is, it, it hits home in that that balancing act, that nurturing of the outer journey and like bringing it in to make sure it's aligned in order to, you know, what we're pursuing as a human being inside.
0: I'm going to read part of day one, which is titled The Male Journey. I, I think it touches on much of, of what we're trying to talk about here. At some point, a man needs to embark on a risky journey. It's a necessary adventure that takes him into uncertainty, and it almost always involves some difficulty or failure. On this journey, the man learns to trust God more than he trusts a sense of right and wrong or his own sense of self-worth. We find this story arc in countless myths, fairy tales, and legends. A man leaves the comfort of his own home only to return and rediscover home. And as T.S. Eliot wrote, know it for the first time. We tend to take refuge in the static world of ideas and opinions, and we look for meaning in jobs and careers. Often we mistake the roles we play for authentic living, but eventually a man begins to sense that something is missing. He may experience this call to awareness as a beckoning whisper, a powerful dream, or a sudden and stark life change. But no matter how it shows up, it needs to be heated. And then the question he leaves with this, maybe, I mean, the, maybe day one uh, is this podcast. Do I feel a vague call to something more? And I'm am I willing to pay attention? And I remember very specific times in my life. And I'm going to take this question seriously at this time in my life as well. I don't think it ends. But they were uh, crucial times in my life where I did feel called to something more, even if it was a vague call to something more. Like doing all the things that I was supposed to do led me to a place that I questioned. And there was an a inner tension, to use your words, Josh, that felt like a call to something more. And I think awakening i think there's a reason this is day 1 awakening to that call or acknowledging that feeling as something that's real and okay within us that doesn't need to be immediately solved or there's not a game to win by answering that question it's it it does seem like a journey that needs to be embarked on that to me i, I would use these words to describe what we're doing with with wilds
1: in the woods it's true that we never arrive, that ultimately it seems that's the shift in thinking that um, that makes all the difference. You know, Evan, when you say that the three of us are in in pretty good places, personally, professionally, that's right. And I think that one thing the three of us have in common is, and for me, this is certainly through trial and error and big errors, but I, I learned the hard way that there was no destination, that that cliche about it's about the journey, not the destination, it, it's true. It is, it is actually true. And if you put your hope in the destination, you're going to be disappointed, either because you fail to get there Or because you get there and you realize that it's only one point along the way. And then the journey continues.
0: Which that in and of itself is the journey. Like I wouldn't take that away from any man. Like arriving at the destination and feeling that disappointment. This isn't meant to tell you to not go after that thing. It's it's like a hey, when you get there, you'll realize something deeply within you that that thing isn't the thing and that there's something deeper within you that is the thing.
1: Yeah. And Uh, well, the shift in thinking for me is that rather than thinking that's the end, that like that's the point where you get there and that's like, oh, there's no more things. I found all the things. It's instead a point for concerting energy, right? It's a point for like I'm aiming for that one. And Josh talks and writes about this in in how he thinks about climbing mountains um that there's something about the summit that focuses your attention and your energy that i'm trying to get there but then you're not staying there you are then number one you got to go get back down but then also you're seeing in the distance the next thing right that it's like it is just a point along the journey and there's there's value in in the those those points um and celebrating them and you know reaching for them um but yeah it's always it's always how do we make the most of this moment
0: the beauty of this too is i think the points are up and down like the inverse shape of what you're talking about is also true uh, it's roar that says oftentimes we're led to inner transformation through great love and great suffering. So I think what you're talking about is a great love transformation. There's also great suffering transformations by choice or not by choice that are that are brought about by our choice or completely outside of our control. Uh, so it seems as though this, this content, this podcast, what we're doing, it will be most relevant to somebody who's touched great love or touched great suffering in some way and if if you haven't touched either of those things this probably just misses the mark completely (laughs) like doesn't have anywhere to land inside uh, I would say
1: we're just nerds
2: (laughs) (laughs) there's two things that come to mind um I used to before mission matters group I had this like contracting gig at a military base doing some technology consulting and they had like those cliche posters all over the place, like, you know, leadership and like some like, like tagline or whatever. But there was this one poster that said in the pursuit of being better or best, don't forget about just being, I was like, dang, that's pretty good. And so, you know, 14 years later, that thing still comes to mind all the time. Do you remember the picture that was with it? <clears throat> no, it was kind of like this like impressionist painting like i don't yeah, I can't remember exactly what it was, but uh I can remember like the text and how it was written yeah uh, but it's it didn't uh, attribute it to anybody. It said unknown and I was like, dang that, but anyways um and the other one uh when when Tony was talking just about like thinking about the next destination, so I heard this like spiritual reflection talking about where the devil plays in our lives and it's either in the future because it can like play with our anxieties or in the past which stokes our shame something that we did in the past and that robs you from this present moment and that just like super like it just crystallized things because like for me I'm, I'm I'm usually thinking like to 10, you know, 30 years out or whatever about different things. And there is that some of those things about what I need to plan for are anxiety provoking, right? And it just robs me from this moment and my path, my next step right now. And then of course, you know, just like Tony shares, (laughs) I got plenty of, you know, demons in my closet still that I'm still trying to process, but you know, it it does, it plays on that, you know, that shame. But um, I thought that that was a really helpful framing just to you got to fight both fronts so that you can, you know, protect
0: that, that current moment. Yep. All right. This feels like a good place to end. Do you guys agree? Word. All right. Let's wrap it up then. Thanks for listening to the Unrationed podcast. If you'd like to join us for wild 32, which is going to start up again, did we plan one?
2: We said after my birthday, which was yesterday. So like
0: next week. Happy birthday. Thank you. And next week? I think we should do it next week. Cool. Well, then that's like the time this podcast reaches the world. We're starting up a Wild 32 this week. And if you'd like to join us on it, we'd love to have you.
1: You have four minutes to
0: decide. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah com. We're also on YouTube now. If you're listening to this, uh, go to YouTube, search Wilds and the Woods. Peace out. Bye.